Hello, today's date is October 30th, and we're going to take a break from our psalm study this week. I'm going to play you an audio clip from our brother, Anthony Cummings. Anthony Cummings. You can find him on Facebook. Go to Facebook, anthony.cummings.733, I believe, or just type in Anthony Cummings. You can find him there. This is something that he put up on Facebook uh, to one of the groups. It's about an hour-long teaching, and um, I found it very, very good, very, very good. And so I wanted to play that for you all today. And there's no title to it, so I had to kind of give it my own title, but there were so many uh, choices. So I thought I would call it The Choice to Remain in Covenant, because he is talking about apostasy and falling away and um, losing that first doctrine that we all received. But then I like something else. As I listened to it, I like something else. He talked about, do we have a heart for Jesus? Do we have a heart for the doctrines? Do we have a heart for God? And it reminded me of Fifth Hook Media. Fifth Hook stands for fighting, F-I, fighting, for the heart of the king, fighting for the heart of the king. And that's Fifth Hook. And that's where we came up with the name Fifth Hook Media. Actually, Miss Kapow did, because that's the the night that I came back to the Lord. There was a sermon preached called Fighting for the Heart of the King. So we came up with Fifth Hook. So he talks about, do we have the heart for Jesus? And do we teach or do we live the whole covenant of God? So you're going to be blessed by this. There's a lot of scripture, a lot of background and um, he's very organized, very good teacher. So Anthony Cummings, he also coaches Hebrew and Greek. So if you want to get more scholarly in your studies uh, and while maintaining good biblical doctrine, he's the guy to go to. Find him on Facebook. All right. So without further ado, we're going to play this clip for you. I want to start with Philippians. Philippians chapter one, I'm going to start at verse three. And this is what Paul writes to the believers. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, talking to the Philippian believers, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus, the Christ. Paul continues and says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for, uh, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge and all discernment. I've quoted that verse over and over again especially in the day and age that we live in, guys, where people's like, love this, love, 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 love. This means if it feels good, do it. And that's not the kingdom of God love. That's soulish ambition. That is emotionalism. That is sensualism, if you want to put it that way. That's not of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with crying or shouting and rejoicing and praising God or whatever it may be, or expressing sometimes anger. It says be angry and not sin. That's what Paul said. So sometimes we, are, we get angry, but at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit should govern us, pull us back in and say, okay, <clears throat> now that you've vented, I'm here. Let me speak. Let me comfort. 
Let the, let the Spirit of God comfort through different brothers, different elders and authorities that has proven themselves in your life. You know, So th- there's nothing wrong with that, but we shouldn't be governed by sentiments and sensuality. Okay? Paul goes on to say, And it is my prayer that, my, that your love, believer, may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. How do you prove what's excellent? Well, you need discernment. You, you know, and, and you need the love of God, but you need the knowledge of God and the discernment of God to what? To prove what is excellent and be, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, we have to have the knowledge of God. We need the discernment of God, which is a part of the love of God, so that he can mold in us that purity and to become blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11 Filled with fruit, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus the Christ to the glory and praise of God. So in other words, the love of God produces the knowledge and discernment of God, which helps us discern what's excellent, pure, and it, it works a purity in us. And it's filled with righteousness. So notice love of God is it's full, of, it's full of discernment. It's full of uh, righteousness. It, it purifies to the glory and praise of God. Now, I'll read that. I want to read another portion here of Philippians. We're going to go to Philippians chapter twelve, chapter 2 and read a familiar scripture here. Verse 12, Paul says this. It says, therefore, my beloved, still talking to the Philippian believers, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's a that's a verse that a lot of people may use saying, well, look, once you receive the Lord Jesus in your life, it's automatic. You can't fall away. He's going to continue to work in you whether you like it or not. He's going to guard you. You, you can't deny him ever, so on and so forth. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to step into this because on one hand, I want to, before I go into this, I want to, I want to give thanks to a lot of my Calvinist brothers that I'm still in touch with. Like I said, when I first started learning biblical languages, it was mainly Reformed brothers who encouraged church history, church the, uh, encouraged the biblical languages in my life, and I'm still in debt. And even some of them now I still listen to and I, I, I glean a lot from. You know, I share on my Facebook profile, I'll share with other brothers that, you know, apologetic ministries that, that are by Reformed brothers that are really good. Um, the the big issue that I have a lot of times with them is that they say, okay, once you receive Jesus, it's once saved, always saved. That's it. Once you have Jesus in your life, that's it. It's impossible to fall away. And even if you do fall away, God's going to force you to come back whether you like it or not. They don't put it that way, but that's how it is. It's like, well, you're going to come back no matter what, because if you're really of the fold, you're going to come back. And I, guys, for me to sit here and say, I just don't understand how we can, God is faithful, absolutely faithful, and I'm going to read a couple things. The reason that I, before I get into that, the reason that I read Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, uh, or Philippians 1 6, I'm sorry, where God says that this completion is going to be working you, I'm going to read Philippians 1 6 again, and I want to show you another verse where Paul does use that same word completion in the same way. Philippians 1 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to pass, or bring it to completion for the day of Jesus Christ. Again, if we were to look at, and I have this in the comments, if you were to look at 2 Corinthians 7, 1, look how Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, since we have these promises, again, go look at 2 Corinthians verse 6 toward the end, how God treats his people 
how he walks among his people and treats them as sons and daughters, so on and so forth. He says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. Letting the holiness come to a completion in what? In the fear of the Lord. So this completion that takes place is God working in us as we also heed to the Holy Spirit. Um, some, some of my Calvinistic brothers will say, oh, uh, there's a synergy going on here. You know, there's no such thing as synergy going on. We don't work with God in the sense of this, that, and the other. God's going to do it all. And other, there's verses I could bring up about this where Paul says to his to his writers in Corinth, he says, he says, we are co-laborers, fellow workers with God. And oh, you got that? Okay, thanks, son. Um, and speaks about how he works with God in the sense of God leads, but Paul has to follow. The Spirit says do something that Paul has to do what the Spirit says. In other words, Paul could grieve the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? He has that choice to grieve the Spirit. That's why over and over and over again we have these uh, admonitions of the apostles, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not harden your heart against the Holy Spirit. If it was automatic, we wouldn't need those admonitions. We wouldn't need those, um, those warnings uh, of the apostles to the believers. Um, we, we, see out of, we see a lot of times already in the scriptures that if, if the churches or the congregations wouldn't have any, any issues, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. When you look at the seven churches or congregations in Revelation, Jesus says, man, you guys are doing this right. This is awesome. You don't put up with these false apostles. You don't do this. You don't do that. This is great. But nevertheless, I have ABC against you, and you've got to really deal with this because this is a problem among you guys. So you have where Jesus is constantly trying to refine his church through the spirit of prophecy, through apostolic writings, through, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, refine, refine, and mature the body of Christ. Um, not one time do I see in scripture where the apostle says, okay, now that you're born again, now that you receive the spirit, everything's good. It is impossible for you to fall away. It is impossible for you to be deceived. It is impossible. I don't see that for a second. I see admonition after admonition after admonition. Don't be deceived. Don't let this person seduce you away. Don't receive these false teachings. Don't receive these false prophets and teachers. And so the question is, if you have all these different admonitions by the apostles to believers in Jesus, you know, put up with another, you put up with another Jesus, you put up with another gospel, you do. Why didn't they just say, well, now that you're born again, you're the elect and it's impossible for you to receive another Jesus. It's impossible for you to receive another gospel. It's impossible for you to, to be deceived with other teachings. It's impossible for you to follow false prophets. They never taught that. They never taught that. Some people may bring up something like this. They'll say, well, look, look, Anthony, don't you know that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith? And yes, it does. I'll read that. Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so, uh, by a so, uh, by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's referring back to Hebrews chapter 11, where he's went over person after person in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, person after person who had great faith, and he said, look, we've got this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of examples. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
and let us run with run uh, with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, or the author and finisher of our faith. And you say, well, there it is, Anthony. Jesus started it. He's going to complete it, whether we like it or not. He's going to do it. But see, the question would be, when you get to the next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 13, when you look at verse, I believe it's verse 20, uh, verse 19, let me try and find it. Give me just a second here. I just had this written here. When you get to, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Here it is. Look what the writer says. So he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus is the author and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. But then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, again, in the original letter, there was no chapters and no verse numbers. These are later traditions. And that's fine, I'm just saying. But in the letter, there was no chapters and verses. So toward the end of completing the epistle, verse 9, look what the writer says. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. In other words, certain people are eating a certain way. They think they're more spiritual, and it really hasn't benefited them. Maybe in the flesh it's benefited them, but not for the faith. But he's warning them. He's warning them, don't be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. In other words, yeah, Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith, but still there's going to be these strange teachings or these diverse teachings that's going to come among you and try to seduce you away. And this is said over and over and over by the apostles. Another, so I'm not trying to discourage your faith. I'm trying to strengthen it by saying, look, there's a real enemy out there. There's a real pseudo gospel. There's things in our head and sometimes traditions of men in our head that teach us one thing. And then when you test it to the scriptures, it's like, okay, is this true? Is it true that, okay, if I'm truly born again, nothing can take away Jesus from my life? Absolutely. There's, there's a verse that says nothing can separate us from the love of God. I absolutely agree with that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you love, and I know that we're not God, okay, but let's just say the Holy Spirit puts a, a deep love in your heart for somebody. And no matter what that person does, they can do the most vilest sins out there, and you're like, I love you. I'm going to continue to love you. You can hate my guts. I still love you. Now, you can still love that person, but do their own sins separate you from them? If they say, I want nothing to do with you, does their own sins and their own choices separate from having a healthy relationship? Yes. You can love somebody with an eternal love. I mean, granted that the Holy Spirit gives you that because we can't do it outside the Holy Spirit. You can love somebody with a deep love, but that don't mean they're going to love you back. That doesn't mean, you know, uh, in a marriage, it takes a man and woman loving each other through the good, bad, and ugly, through sickness and health. There's that whole thing that you say in marriage, you know, you know, by life or by death, through sickness and health, through, you know, through poverty and riches, whether life's going great or it sucks, period. And you're, you're gonna, you know, even to the point where you're, coming, you're going homeless for a little while. Will you stick with that person? Will you stick in that covenant relationship? That's a choice. Nobody is putting a gun up to my wife's head or, or, or a gun up to my head saying, I better stick with my wife. But no, it's just it's a choice whether it feels good or not to remain in that covenant relationship. Can I divorce my wife out of free will? Absolutely. Absolutely. I could be, you know, I, I would receive repercussions off of that. Can she divorce me? She could. Absolutely. Nothing is making her like stay in this relationship. She has the, the will and the choice to separate from this. But she don't, you know, we're choosing, thank God, she's choosing to walk this out. The same thing with God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because of the finished work of Jesus. 
but do people automatically get in because God loves them through the death of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection? No. They have to repent, and even then, they have to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws, and the Holy Spirit cultivates fellowship. Can they grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, according to the apostles, yes. Can they harden their heart against the Holy Spirit? Yes. Can we put out the fire of the Holy Spirit according to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Oh, Paul warned them, do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit or despise prophecies. We can despise prophecies. We can despise the fire of the Spirit. It says do not quench the Spirit. We can do these things because it's relational. And so the question is, is it really true that if somebody comes to Jesus that no matter what they do, that they're always in great standing? No, it's not true. So I want to go over a few things here. A few verses, because I've been reading this the last few days and just not trying to read my own presuppositions into the text, but just looking at what the apostles taught on this. <clears throat> so a big one is Jacob or James, the epistle of James, Iacobus, Yaakov in Hebrew. The last, one of the last things James says at the end of his epistle, one of the last things he says, I want you guys to read this. This is James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. This is how he, hint, how he ends his whole epistle. He's written all kind of wise things, things from heaven, man, things that are led by the Spirit to the brothers. Really, it's written to the Jews. It's written to the believers contextually, to the Jews scattered to the nations, but by, by extension to us Gentiles in Christ. And verse 19, look what he says. He says, my brothers, those who are in the sign of Jesus, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Now look, how can you wander from the truth if you never had the truth? He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner, now James is saying if a brother falls away from the truth, he's calling him a sinner. I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me about that. He says, if they go astray from the truth, now they're a sinner. Let him know Whoever brings this brother back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, if we don't bring a straying brother back from the truth and he continues straying, his sins is upon him. In other words, he's fallen from the faith of Christ alone who can cleanse and justify him and make him holy and blameless for the judgment day. For judgment day. Again, this is how James closes his letter. It's not just a, a simple thing he wrote and then went to another topic. Uh, after everything he wrote, he says, I'm going to close my letter with this. Brothers, if another brother falls away from the truth and someone brings that brother back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins, which implies if that wandering brother doesn't come back, then his sins are, are upon his head because he's rejected the gospel. And that's a serious admonition. Are there other ones? I mean, yeah, I, I just posted this on Facebook a couple days ago. Second Peter. I mean, I mean, people will go to Second Peter chapter 2, but let's just, I won't even go over chapter 2 at the moment. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. And look how Peter ends his epistle. So we just saw how James ended his epistle, his letter. Let's see how Peter ends his letter here. Verse 17 and 18. I just think there's a theme here, especially with James and Peter, at least, toward the end of their epistles. 
Verse 17, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Well, wait a second, Peter. I was told that I was always going to be stable, and I'll, 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 I'll never you know, go astray with lawless people because i got Jesus. i got Jesus, and I'll never be led astray or seduced away by lawless people. No, Peter warns believers. Beloved ones, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. Why didn't Peter say, well, you'll never be carried away with lawless people? You, you, you're in Jesus. You'll never go, go erroneous. You, you're never going to never be seduced or tricked or deceived by lawless people. You're good. No, he never says that. He gives them a warning. Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. And how do you do that? Verse 18, grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Continue to grow, ongoing, present, active in the Greek. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So James ends his letter saying, beware of being led astray from the truth. Peter ends his letter saying, do not let lawless people take away the stability that you have in Christ, the stability that you have in, in, the, in the grace of Jesus. And, you know, and, 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 and don't be led astray. I, I find that as a continuing theme. You'll say, okay, well, wait a second. That's, that's maybe two epistles here where the apostles warn about how believers can go astray. I need more evidence. <laughs> I, I, and honestly, I'm sitting here going, well, if you won't listen to James or Peter, you know, then... I can, you know, why should I give you more evidence? But I can give you more evidence if you want that. Um, give me a second here. <sighs> I mean, I could go over verse after verse after verse. I mean, in the, in the letter of Hebrews, there's several places. But let's just, let's go back one chapter here. This is a famous chapter that people like to go to. Second Peter chapter 2. He opens up talking about false prophets and false teachers and how they will bring in destructive heresies even among the believers, and deny the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And it goes in verse 2, it says, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and many will follow after these false prophets. Many will follow among them after their sensuality. Because, the, because of them, because of the false prophets and false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you, believer, with false words. Their condemnation from what these false prophets and false teachers is from long ago and is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And he goes on to say, just like the fallen angels in Genesis chapter 6, God judged them in the same way these false prophets and false teachers will receive judgment. But Peter does say they will influence people. They will influence people among the believers to follow their destructive heresies. These are people who say, I love Jesus. But because they're not rooted, it reminds me of a parable what Jesus said, right? He said that there's a parable where a, a sower went out and sowed seed. You know, some of the seed fell on rocky ground. Some of the seed fell, you know, and into enough earth where it blossomed. But then when the, the sun came out, it basically scorched the plant. Because, in other words, when the persecution came against it, they didn't root themselves. They, they gave into the persecution. But these are people that rejoice in the Lord. Oh, man, I rejoice in the Lord. And then yet, because when testing came, they didn't root themselves, they didn't count the cost, and they fell away. 
that's another parable that's very clear that Jesus taught about that you can receive the word of God, you can receive the God, and even rejoice in the word of God. And yet when testing comes, when persecution comes, and we're promised it, Jesus said that uh, in this world you will have what? Tribulations. There'll be a good cheer. I overcome this world. Paul told Timothy that all those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God only knows the level of that persecution, but it's going to come. No, don't be scared about it. You know, just strengthen your faith. Get in the word. Be around God-fearing believers. Pray. Have fellowship with the Spirit of God so that when this stuff comes against you or another Jesus or another gospel comes against you, it's so foreign, you're not going to put up with it. The problem is people don't do that. So therefore, when another gospel, another Jesus, another teaching comes among them, they're swayed by it. They're moved. And it's like, you know, it's, it's disheartening. It's disheartening. How about this? Let's go to another letter of Paul. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Hello, this is Professor Lamsrath from the Institute of Prophetic Studies in Southern California. Are you tired of going to church yet getting nothing from it? Do you feel good on Sunday but defeated by Monday? Does your church fail to equip you with the necessary tools to live out your Christianity? And does your church leave you powerless? Have you ever wondered why? Well, you are not alone. I strongly suggest you read Eyes to See Unseen Enemies by Paul and Linda Villanueva. This book examines and explains the problems with so many of today's churches and ministries. You will learn about the false spirits invading churches and the occult practices that have crept into the house of God. More importantly, you will get the tools needed to protect yourself and the ones you love. Eyes to See Unseen Enemies is available at all online digital book retailers such as Amazon, iBooks, and Barnes & Noble. Go to fifthhookmedia.com, F-I-F-T-H-O-O-K-M-E-D-I-A.com for further information. This is Professor Lamsrath, and I am making Eyes to See Unseen Enemies required reading in all of my courses. So I'll see you in class. Ephesians chapter 4, people, uh, I love this chapter as well, where Paul talks about, you know, that Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, you know, shepherds or pastors and teachers. But then after that, we can go down to, oops, sorry, I thought I was in chapter 4 here. Ephesians chapter 4. But when you get down to verse 30, Paul gives a warning here. I want to read this. He says, says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, you can grieve, you can resist the Holy Spirit. There are, there's another verse in here I want to get to. Um, give me just a minute, because I thought that was, the, I thought that was one about uh, the warning against false teaching and those who deceive. But it may be in the next chapter. Let me check chapter five here. Oh, here it is, chapter 5, here it is. <clears throat> so we get a warning in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Then in the next chapter, in verse 5, what does Paul say? I'll start with verse 5. For you, believer, may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is, who is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of God. Verse 6, 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why would Paul have to warn those who in Ephesus about being deceived with empty words? Flattery. People who come along and just say a bunch of ambitious rhetoric, you know, and then they get you hyped up emotionally and sensually. And again, I'm all for rejoicing with God. I, I, I'm I'm a reserved charismatic in the sense of I dancing or bowing before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. You know, if God moves on you, I believe in the charismatic gifts. As long as it glorifies Jesus, as long as it's biblical, I believe in the charismatic gifts. Um, everything has to be tested by the Word of God. We have to be good Bereans. Everything, as far as spiritual gifts, everything is subject to the Word of God. Everything must be. That's how you test the spirits. First John chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. But... Paul says this. Why would he have to warn them? Let no one deceive you. Why, did he, why didn't he say, guys, you know what? <clears throat> you're never going to be deceived. You're the elect. Hey, you're the elect. It's impossible for you to be deceived with flattering words. Nothing's going to. He didn't say that. And so over and over again, the apostles warned and said, look, you guys are in Jesus. You are in Christ. You are of the kingdom. You have the spirit of God among you. Nevertheless, there's going to be enemies that come in on you. There's going to be those who try to seduce you away into idolatry, just like the foreign nations tried to do with Israel and the Hebrew Bible. There's places in the Hebrew Bible that they knew that if they could seduce Israel into sin, into sexual immorality, then God's presence and protection would lift off of them. But as long as Israel was obedient, you know, they weren't perfect, but as long as they were obedient and repentant of their sins and aware of God's spirit and aware of his commandments, God's presence prospered them and protected them from the nations. It's a picture of who we are in Christ. You'll say, well, they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Spirit of God among them like we do today. Well, yeah, they did. You know, they may not have had it in the measure that we do where Christ is in us all the time, but they did have the living presence of God among them. And so there's a lot of things. If you want to go in that deeper, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul said we need to learn from Israel. Learn from their mistakes and don't do what they did. He didn't just throw away the Hebrew Bible. Matter of fact, Paul called the Hebrew Bible theonistos. He called it God-breathed. Um, and so, so we can go we can go into that route if you want to. But Israel is an example. It's a shadow. It's a picture of who we are in Messiah, in Messiah Jesus. And he says here in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. I just, I don't know. People say, well, that's just a passing comment. Come on, man. That's not a big thing. Paul didn't say they was going to fall away and apostatize. Okay, well, let's go to something else. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is prophesying by letter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Why, why do I say Paul's prophesying by letter? Because he writes, and now the Spirit explicitly says. In other words, I'm speaking by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God says this. So now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. They will apostatize. You can't, you can't walk away or depart from something you didn't have. And how will they do it? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits or seducing spirits and teachings of demons. But Paul, not, it's really not Paul, but now we're talking to the Spirit of God whom Paul's writing by. But Holy Spirit, I was told that I could never do that. I was told that I could never be seduced away. I'm the elect. It's impossible for me to fall away. But that's not what the Spirit of God says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit's telling you and me that in later times, there are those who will depart from the faith, devoting, them, devoting themselves to seducing spirits and teachings of demons. 
We can't even put this one on Paul, even though Paul is the messenger. We put this one on the Spirit of God that's speaking through Paul, telling us that there's many that's going to fall away. And he goes into why. You know, and it says through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require absence. This is what these people are going to start teaching, and people's going to be like, "Well, I guess I got to listen to them. I guess I got to listen to them." You know, so on and so forth. And then he goes in verse six. But if you put these things before the brothers, Timothy's, you will be a good servant in Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while, the, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and as for the life to come. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I mean, I do know, but I have a hard time when somebody says, well, nope, once you're in Jesus, that's it. It is impossible for you to be seduced away. It's impossible for you to apostatize. It's impossible for you to follow other spirits. It's impossible for you to follow another gospel, another Jesus. It's impossible. No. A lot of times I ask people, like, how do you hear the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm reading the Word of God. That's great because the Spirit of God gave the Word of God, but is the Holy Spirit so impersonal to you that he can't tell you to go this way and walk it? or to go that way and walk it, or to apply for this job, or to not apply for this job, or to buy this house, but not buy this house, or, you know, or to buy this car and not buy this car, to marry this person, but not marry this person. Is this the Holy Spirit so impersonal to you that he can't lead you in certain areas of your life that line up with the scripture, but are personal to you? If, if he is, that's scary. Um, because we're supposed to hear the voice of Jesus. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. And we confirm that leading by the Spirit by the Scriptures. By the Scriptures. We just don't say the Spirit told me to do this and don't test it by the Scriptures. But we put it before elders. We put it before brothers who are God-fearing brothers. And we test these things by the Scriptures and by mature brothers and say, okay, what do you guys think? I believe the Holy Spirit is saying this to me. To do this, what do you think? And let the elders and older brothers who are mature in the Lord say, yeah, I, I see that as God leading me there. Or no, that's not lining up with the scripture right here because the Holy Spirit is not going to be divided against himself. He's not going to tell you to do this. And yet over here, he wrote the scriptures. He inspired the scriptures and, and totally come against what he said here. It's good to have a counsel of people, accountability that's more mature than we are so that we can be accountable because God uses other people as well. <clears throat> so I read First Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, by the time you get down to 1 Timothy chapter 15 and 16, what does Paul say? He tells Timothy this, practice these things, right, what Paul told Timothy, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching. In other words, the authoritative teaching of Paul, the apostles. Persist in this, for by, by, now check this out, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In other words, Timothy, you're, you need to watch yourself. You need to be accountable. You need to immerse yourself in the teaching I'm giving you as far as the, ap the apostolic teachings of what Paul's saying. Immerse yourself in that. Persist in it. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In other words, it's implying those who hear you teaching the apostolic teaching. It's I don't know, guys. That's just that's sober warnings to me. 
And you may say, well, yeah, yeah, that's First Timothy, Anthony. How about, well, Paul didn't say anything else. What about Second Timothy? Well, of course there's warnings in Second Timothy if we want to go there. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, and I'll verse, we'll start at verse 11. What does Paul say to Timothy here? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now somebody may say, well, wait a second. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus restored him, and he came back. That's true. But when you look at what Peter, when you look at what Paul's saying here, he says, if we deny him, he denies us. Again, in the Greek, it's a present active, ongoing. In other words, if we continually deny him, he will deny us. So it's not like we get ashamed like Peter did, fall under peer pressure, go back fishing. Did Peter continually deny Jesus? No. He denied him three times under pressure, like most human beings would. If somebody says, oh, I would never deny Jesus. Well, you're just like Peter, because Peter said he would never deny Jesus either. And Peter denied him three times under pressure because Peter was ambitious. Let the pressure come on our lives and let's see what's going on. For by the grace of God, we're all like Peter and probably worse than Peter outside of the grace of God and outside of the Holy Spirit sustaining us. But here what Paul says, look, if we endure with him, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, in other words, present active, if we continually deny him, he will also deny us. Paul didn't say it's impossible to deny Jesus. He just didn't say that. It's possible. But it, it, it's a choice of, am I going to die to myself and continually let the Spirit of God deal with me? Am I going to let myself be held accountable to God-fearing men and elders who are going to speak by the Spirit of God and speak to me in the fear of the Lord? Not just ambitiously, not just emotionally, but those who are prayerful people who walk in the fear of the Lord, they're going to speak to me. Am I going to be accountable to those kind of people? We need, we need that, guys. And Paul, Paul warned it. Okay, that's just one other, you know, is there anything else? Well, let's get on to verse 16. Just a little, a few verses later in the same chapter, 2 Timothy, verse two, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says this. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So now Paul, by name, mentions two people who have fallen from the faith. They've received another type of the faith. Another, another teaching about the resurrection, and now they're upsetting people, saying that the resurrection never come. Let me put this bluntly. This is like preterists who come among you and say, oh, don't you know that Jesus came back in 70 AD? What's wrong with you Christians waiting for the second coming? You guys, come on. Revelation's already happened, or part of Revelation's already happened. This, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing is new. Paul says, look, these guys are teaching that the resurrection's already happened. In other words, I mean, I know Jesus is resurrected from that, but in other words, the resurrection from everybody. And it's, it was upsetting some of the faith. Again, well, as far as the second coming of Jesus, guys, just remember what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 23. Jesus clearly said to Jerusalem, until you say, Baruch HaBashem Adonai, unless you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, unless you say it to me, what Jesus is saying, you will not see me again. 
and, and in Acts chapter 1, when, when Jesus ascended into the heavens, and then uh, the two angels are there, and, and the men, the disciples, are looking up into the heavens, and the two angels said, why are you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus who left by a cloud, basically, is he'll return in the same way. Has Jesus returned upon a cloud? No, he has not. Nothing historically has said that. So preterism is completely false in the sense of, oh, the resurrection's happened, the return of Jesus has happened. No, it hasn't. But see, again, Paul's dealing with this. There's, there's, there, were, there were people among Timothy's congregation that were teaching this stuff and, and, and shaking the faith of some people. And Paul's like, Timothy, we got to deal with this. Don't put up with this stuff. So in other words, but, but notice this. Notice what Paul does say. He doesn't say, well, don't worry about it. They're the elect. They can't be deceived. They can't be. They can't embrace another doctrine about the resurrection. It's impossible. No, he doesn't say that. He warns Timothy about these kind of people. We have a real war on our hands, in our minds, and through other people trying to seduce themselves and come among believers to try to seduce them away. Are there other warnings in Second Timothy? Yes. Yes, there is. If we go to chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 8. Second Timothy's warning about in the last days, people's going to come be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, so on and so forth, loving pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying God's power. Having the appearance of godliness and denying God's power. Again, that, that motif goes all the way back into the Hebrew Bible, up into the Gospels, and into the Apostolic Writings. That's just a continual motif. False prophets, false teachers. Uh, sometimes the Levitical priesthood got corrupted, and, the, and God had to raise up a prophet like Malachi or Jeremiah to rebuke the corrupt priests in the priesthood in the Old Testament because they had become compromised. So anyway... Paul warns about it. He says, look, we'll start at verse 6. For, for some of these guys, these false teachers, for among them are those who creep into women's, uh, into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. These women are led astray by the various passions, always learning and never able to receive, uh, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Verse 8, here's the key word. Just as Janus and Jambres, in other words, this is a Targumic tradition, because you won't find Janus and Jambres in the Old Testament. But the magicians that that did signs and wonders for Pharaoh in front of Moses, later Jewish tradition, the Targums named them as Janus and Jambres. So Paul uses that tradition in his letter and says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men, these deceivers, um, opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So these guys, again, have crept in among the believers causing people to be shaken in their faith. But hey, they're bringing in teachings, they're bringing in uh, Moses, they're bringing in all kinds of stuff, man. But they're slanderers, they have appearance of godliness. I mean, Paul warns about this stuff. He's saying, look, don't listen to these people. Don't even put up with them for a second. If they're bringing you another Jesus, trying to you know, exalt Jewish tradition above the word of God, uh, exalt Christian tradition above the word of God, immerse yourself in the apostolic teachings the apostles' teachings of the, of the New Testament, and then test what's being told to you. Because, again, most of the time deceivers don't come among you guys and say, yeah, I'm here to deceive you. I'm bringing another Jesus. No, they just slowly bring it in. 
And then people are like, they're so laid back, they don't want to deal with it. Well, I just don't want to offend this person. I, I got to walk in love. No, love, love demands that we say, no, I'm not putting up with that. The love that Paul told me to have rejoices in righteousness and doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And you're bringing me another Jesus. And you're bringing me another gospel. I have to confront this. The love of God in Jesus confronted this. The love of God in the Hebrew prophets confronted this. The love of God in the apostles are confronting this in their writings. So why shouldn't we confront this? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> I'm going to look at verse 7 and then verse 10. I'll read actually verse 7 through 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, hence, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 10, now here's what Paul says. For Demas, in love with this present world, has... Well, it was impossible for Demas to astray. No, he didn't say that. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, or Dalmatia. Sorry about that. But he said Demas deserted Paul. He was a part of Paul's missionary team, and he deserted him because he loved the world more than the gospel that, that Paul taught. And Paul says, look, this guy abandoned me. Now, you may say, well, wait a second. Where does it say that Demas had the gospel and then he lost the gospel? What well, was Demas could have been another Judas. Well, it's possible. I'll give you that. It might be that he, he didn't know. He was following Paul and maybe trying to deceive Paul. And Paul wasn't putting up with it, and then he left because he was in love with the world. But it's still, for the sake of it, Paul names a name because he's not, you know, so loving that he doesn't name names. He does name names. This guy deserted me and went back to the world. He was a part of my team, but he left me. He abandoned me. Um, there are several places I could go to. How about, I mean, I could go more and more, guys, but I want to encourage you. I'm not sharing this stuff with you to discourage the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus is always faithful. He's a solid, solid, eternal rock. Nothing is going to move the kingdom of God. Nothing is going to move the gospel of God. Nothing is going to move in the sense of the Holy Spirit's nature. The Holy Spirit will always be the Holy Spirit. Jesus is always Jesus. The gospel is always the gospel, no matter this shaking world, no matter the false teachings in this world. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the gospel, period. He's unshakable. That's why the demons in hell or false teachers and false prophets, they can't move Jesus, but they can try to move the people of Jesus to embrace something else, just like the foreign nations and the foreign gods tried to get Israel to embrace something else and seduce them away from Yahweh, the communion of Yahweh's spirit his commandments, so on and so forth. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. This is what Paul says. He says, And you, Colossian believer, you, me, believers, right, in Christ, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, believer in Jesus, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's all about Jesus. It's not about my works. It's not about anything added to my works. 
It is totally about Jesus. Nothing more, nothing more. He is everything. But what's, does Paul stop there? Verse 19. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So does Paul say, okay, Jesus is faithful. He's going to present you holy and blameless above reproach no matter what. It's impossible. You can't lose faith. You've got it. Nothing can be shaken with you. You're just a solid rock, and nothing can take you away from that. No, he didn't say that. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, you've got the faith, cultivate it. You've got the faith, grow in it. You've got the grace of God. Do not become idle, lazy, lackadaisical in this. Because if you do, then you're not following the Spirit, number one. And number two, you're going to open yourself up to seducing spirits, seducing doctrines. Somebody's going to come along, and you'll be moved by prophecy that's not from the Lord. You'll be moved by these teachers, and you're going to be shaken and confused because you didn't root yourself in the gospel. You didn't root yourself in the apostolic teachings. You didn't test what's being told to you, and you become idle and lazy, and therefore you're just going to be tossed back and forth, tossed back and forth with false doctrines. Paul said he's able to present you holy and blameless if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Stable and steadfast, not shaky, being tossed to and fro. Stability, steadfastness, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Whether life is good or life is bad, your family betrays you, you lose your job, whatever. You may go to jail because of what you're standing up for, what's righteous. You may not. Whatever it may be. Do we have the heart that the Holy Spirit produced in Paul that says to live is Christ and to die is gain? If I'm going to live, I'm going to hold on to Christ in the midst of my work, in the midst of my relationships. But if I get, if I have to die, if I have to lose my nice life now, I'm holding on to Christ regardless because he's everything. He's everything. I can't think twice about letting go of him, even though I know I'm selfish in certain areas. Christ is everything. For good, bad, and ugly, he's everything. Do we have that heart? Do we have that heart? That's how serious this is. And it's, that sounds so radical, right? It sounds like, oh, man, that's just, man that Anthony guy's a radical. <laughs> he's, he's extremist. Well, well, Muslims are extremists, too. Some of them, like, die in jihad. You know, that's the only guarantee they have to go to paradise, even though it's a false gospel. It's another Jesus. There's a, Jehovah Witnesses are extremists too because they go knocking on doors every day to try to earn their salvation. Seventh-day Adventists, they're extremists because they keep the Sabbath by, you know, come hell or high water, they're going to keep that Seventh-day Sabbath and condemn everybody else who doesn't keep it. So it's not really extremists, this guy. The love of God produces stability. The love of God produces maturity. The love of God says this is the way, walk in it, do not listen to false prophets, do not listen to another gospel, do not listen to other spirits. The love of God brings stability, not fickle, emotional, inconsistent feelings, not being tossed to back, back to, to and fro, maturity, discernment, keeping your eyes on the true Jesus, having fellowship with the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Having fellowship with those who don't just call upon the name of the Lord just by word of mouth, but they call upon him from a pure heart, like Paul told Timothy. <clears throat> I'll read that real quick. That's, a, that's a, such an important verse. Um, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 
Such an important verse. Paul tells Timothy, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice he just didn't stop those who call upon the Lord. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians. They'll even name Jesus, especially in this new age, humanistic, universal mindset of the world we're in. Oh, Christians can get along with Muslims, who can get along with Judaism, who can get along with the New Agers, who can get along with Hinduism, who can get along with Buddha, who can get along with everybody. Let's just all get together because it's all about religious humanism. It's all about universalism. The Roman Catholic has everything to do with the Protestant, the Protestant. No, no. That spirit preys upon the carnality and the flesh of men who have no fear of the Lord. But they'll prostitute the name of the Lord. Again, false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, whatever they may be, if they bring to you another spirit or another gospel, Paul said, do not listen to them. He told Timothy, right? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. That's a reflection back to Psalm 24. Do I have a pure heart and clean hands? Do the people that I associate with as believers, do they seek to have a pure heart and clean hands? Or do they just name Jesus because it's popular? Or do they just get together because mommy and daddy told me so? Or just, you know, it's just, eh, I'll take it lightly. I want people that are honest. I'd rather have three or five honest people than a whole multitude of lukewarm, laxadavid Christians. I'd rather pray and have a prayer meeting with one or two or five people that are having a heart after God than to have a prayer meeting with a thousand people that are just there because they feel like they have to be just there. It's just, you know, well, we're here. Let's go, let's go through the liturgy. Okay. Forget that. That's, that's, I don't, I don't want no part of that. Jesus talked about people who worship him with their lips, but their hearts are far away from him. And he quoted Isaiah about that. Now, thank God there's a move of God's kingdom. More Jews are coming to the Lord. Gentiles are coming to the Lord. But at the same time, as the kingdom of God increases and as the body of Christ grows, you better believe the harlot church is growing too. And there's got to be a division between the harlot church who prostitutes Jesus and promotes humanistic ideals in the name of Jesus, universalism, humanism, but oh, in the name of Jesus. And they don't promote the kingdom of God. They don't promote denying self. They don't promote walking by the spirit. They walk by a spirit, okay? It's a humanistic spirit of the age versus the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. I I could share a lot more on that, but I don't know if it would be beneficial. (laughs) Excuse me. I think I'm going to share this, and then I'll, I'll hop off here. Again, guys, I want to – I say this in love. I'm going to stand before God, and God's going to ask me, with what you were given, how did you share it? How did you teach people? Did you condemn them, or did you teach in both grace and truth? And my goal is hopefully that I taught in grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus comes. The law, the law came through Moses, but uh, law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus, right? The example is we're supposed to not compromise truth, but grace helps us walk in truth, even though we're continually being sanctified. <clears throat> and he's going to ask me, man, did you were you faithful with the apostles taught, or did you just teach the things that you thought? You know, did you just were you biased? Did you bury it? 
Did you, did you just go over here and teach this part of the apostolic, what my spirit gave the apostles, and you ignore this part over here? He's going to ask us that. Not just me, but anybody who's teaching on here. He's going to ask us, did you do it faithfully? Did you do your best to be good Bereans with the whole counsel of God? With the whole counsel of God. Paul said this. And I want to. There's much more I could say on this, but I, this video, I don't want to draw it out. <clears throat> In just a second, I'm going to bring up this verse. About what Paul said, because he said that he didn't cease day or night teaching, teaching the whole counsel of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. I'm going to actually back up a couple of verses here. <clears throat> and I want to read what Paul said here. And I want us to ask ourselves, I'm going to start with myself, and you, you start with yourself. And see, do we have this heart? Do we have this mind? Do we have... At least do we desire, do we seek the Lord and say, God, please put this in me. The work you did in Paul, I want to have this. Not just intellectually, not just being able to quote the original languages and defend apologetics, which is good. But do I have this when nobody's seeing me? When nobody knows my name, do I have this heart? Do I have this spirit? Do I have this desire? Paul says this. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. He, he didn't boast in his ministry. I received this. He said, I received it by grace. Paul persecuted Jews who believed in Jesus, murdered them, didn't think twice about it. Jesus warned about that in John 16. Told his own disciples they'll get kicked out of the synagogue for following him, which is a shadow of Christians today being kicked out of apostate churches. There's many Christians right now that are don't have a home church, sadly, because they're being kicked out of apostate churches. Now, listen, I want to be very careful when I talk about this. Your church is not apostate if you disagree in end day stuff. I'm talking about majors of majors. Your church is not apostate if there's things you wrestle with beyond majoring on the majors. What are the majors of the majors? Well, the death, blood, resurrection of Jesus, the Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 talks about the milk doctrines, repentance from dead works, baptism, the judgment of God. Go read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. These are the milk doctrines that every Christian should know about, every believer should know about. Major on the majors. I'm talking about, but there's people I love right now that I disagree with. There's not one scholar I look up to, guys, that I agree with absolutely everything. Dr. Michael Heiser is one of my favorite scholars. Dr. Michael Brown or Jacob Pratt. These different people out there are Dr. Dan Wallace of, of, of textual criticism. He's a, probably the number one believing textual criticism uh, scholar out there that studies the New Testament manuscripts. I love Dr. Wallace. Do I agree with everything that Dr. Wallace says, though? No. So do I throw Dr. Wallace away? No, absolutely not. That's absurd. Does he have the majors of the Gospels? Absolutely he does. It's a precious elder. I mean, he's going to be missed severely when God takes him home. My whole point is, if you don't agree with everything in your congregation, it doesn't make an apostate church. But it does become apostate when you start adding to the gospel, you start adding to the foundations, you start taking away from the triune nature, the complex nature of God's oneness, the you know repentance from dead works. These things are foundational. Or somebody says, this is the Holy Spirit, but don't test it. You need to listen to me because I'm the authority here. Don't you dare test it by the word of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is not the Spirit of God. If somebody has that attitude, that's a cult. That's another spirit. Don't put up with that stuff. I believe in prophecies, 
but prophecy by the Spirit of God says, of course, test it by the Scripture. This just, it should be the same Spirit, right? So I'm talking about on the majors when these false prophets or false teachings or when people come in. And, and you're not among an apostate church if baby believers are teaching something and they don't know any better and they misteach something. You know, they may misquote a verse and you go, you misquoted that verse. You're a false. No, they're baby believers. Encourage them. Build them up. I'm talking about those who already are, you know, they come in with some kind of authority and they start teaching you something else. They start taking away, start eroding the foundations. They start eroding grace, you know, saved by grace through faith alone. They start eroding the eternal nature of Jesus. They start eroding the, the eternal nature of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the repentance from dead works, baptism. They start eroding that foundation by just, hey, let's just have a good time and we'll do it in the name of Jesus. No, no, no. Don't put up for that for a second. Be jealous with a godly jealousy for the fellowship of the Spirit and being a good Berean with the Scriptures. Paul says this again. He says, I did not count my life of any value, <clears throat> nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And this is what he said. This is what he said. This is the Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of, none of, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's about to go die. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. That's the key thing. Whether you're on, take my view of the scriptures or you take the Calvinistic reform point of view about you can't lose your, you, you can't walk away. I don't like lose, but you can't forfeit your salvation. No matter what, are we both trying to proclaim the whole counsel of God? Again, I'm going to read it again. Paul says this, therefore I testify to you. This is one of the last things Paul says to the believers here because he's about to go die. He says, you're not going to see my face again. If I'm going to leave you with one thing, it's going to be this. Therefore I testify to you that this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Why am I innocent from the blood of all of you? For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold back. If people, whether it was popular or not, I gave it to you. And therefore my hands are clean. You do with it as you wish. He continues to say this, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the congregation of God, the assembly of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 9. This is what Paul warns about. He says, I give you the whole counsel of God, and here's the warning. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul speaking exactly with what happened to Moses and the Israelites. Among Israelites in, in, the, in the Exodus, you had people rising up and rebelling against Moses. It, it wasn't the nations. It wasn't the Assyrians. It wasn't the Egyptians. It wasn't people serving other gods. But even in the midst of Israel's congregation, Men rose up to rebel against God's authority, to rebel against God's spirit, and to rebel against God's servants like Moses. Paul's saying the same thing about those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Verse 31, 
Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I'm commanded... Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So the, the thing I, I'm going to leave you with is that I'll leave you. Do we have Paul's heart? Paul said, I didn't shrink back. I take that as whether it was popular or not, whether people was going to prove of me or not, whether people was going to, fund my ministry or not, or whether that was going to donate to me or not, I did not shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God. And because I didn't, you know, I'm about to die. Hold on to this. Because I didn't do that, know this. After I leave, guess what? Fierce wolves are going to come among you. Oh, they're not going to, they're not going to be so foreign that they bring some kind of other God among you. They're going to come among you and claim they're believers. And he says, and they're not going to spare you. They're not going to spare the flock. They're hirelings. Remember when Jesus talked about John chapter 10, the three different types of shepherds? He talked about one type of shepherd that's the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. He talked about another type of shepherd who will shepherd the flock as long as he's getting paid, the hireling. And then he talked about the one who creeps in, and he says he's a sheep, but he's really a wolf. And he's going to creep in as a wolf in sheep's clothing and just not spare the flock. Paul warned about the third type of shepherd here. After my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Forget the world. Even among your own selves, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the age can come in. A humanistic spirit can come in in the sense of, I'll do my own thing. Forget having a burden for the body of Christ. Forget exalting the body of Christ. I'm going to divide against the body of Christ, and not, not you know, just because I want to. There's, you know, and there's, it's one thing to attack heresy in the body of Christ, to expose heresy, and, and to call out names, but you do it with love and grace and truth because you love the body. Like a doctor would look at your own body and say, "Hey, man, I care for your whole body. I care for your whole wholeness." But dude, we've got to attack this part right here because it's cancerous. That's a loving doctor. That's a good doctor. A, a gracious but truthful doctor will look at your whole body and be like, man, are you in good shape? Good. Now we need to address certain things. Maybe uh, right here the x-rays say you've got some cancerous spots on your lungs. We need to attack those cancerous spots. Because if not, the cancerous spots will multiply over your whole lungs and even your body and will destroy your body. Likewise, spiritually, if somebody's going to, uh, going to correct heresy, or false teaching in the body, then it needs to be done in the name of love. I love the whole body of Christ. I love this congregation I'm a part of. Therefore, since I love you, this is cancerous. This is corrupt. We've got to deal with this teaching right here, because if not, it's going to spread through the whole body. It's going to infect the whole congregation, and it's going to destroy it. But, see, when a false teacher, a false prophet, or somebody comes among you, they don't care about the body. They'll just rise up among you and just start taking disciples, whether you like it or not. They won't be reasonable. They'll just uh, won't honor authority. They will not honor any kind of kingdom order because God set order in the body of Christ. And they'll just do it to cause division for the sake of causing division to come against the gospel. And those who are naive, those who are not rooted in the gospel will follow them. Paul warned about this. One last time, and I'll close the video. For I did not shrink... 
Verse 27, Acts chapter 20, verse 27. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God or to the congregation of God, which he, which God obtained with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things, twisted things, to draw away disciples from them. Therefore, be alert and remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you with even tears. Now I commend you to the God, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that's my prayer to you guys. I'm a nobody. I don't care about titles. I know I'm a servant and a son of God by God's grace. Uh, honor the leaders in this group. Honor the people in your congregation when you're outside of this group, when you go to your fellowships. At the same time, become good Bereans. Immerse yourself in apostolic teachings. Seek to be consistent and contextual and God-fearing when reading the scriptures. Because if you're not, if we fail to do that, then every wind of doctrine that comes along is going to toss us, it, whether it comes in the name of Jesus or not. So God bless you guys. Thank you for your time and watching this video, and I hope the rest of your day is a good day, okay? Take care.